Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folks. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And I, I just felt like coming on today, uh, you know, didn't want to get too far away from from other episodes. And uh, we're just going to talk with the uh, Brooklyn Trolley blogger, Mike Lecalant, about Brooklyn ballparks. And, uh, Mike, this was a tight operation. We're, we're, we're live in the, in the matter of moments. We're live in daylight. How do you like that? <laughs> and speaking of daylight, um, Mike, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a bite of something, and I'm wondering if you can, uh, you can tell me, what, what am I eating right now? What do you think I'm eating right now? What are you eating right now? Oh, yeah. my goodness. What, am, what did I take a bite of as, as uh, we're starting this while the sun is still out? I don't know, bro. No. <laughs> I stumped you. Yeah. I stumped you. Well, the sun is set. The sun is setting, which means that soon I won't be able to have bread, like many correct. other observing Jews. Passover is on its way, and so I wanted to give a a a, a, a mouthful of a shout out <laughs> to to my fellow Jewish brethren, and, and I hope they have a happy Passover. I know that a lot of people right now, Mike, unfortunately, cannot have. Satyrs the way they, they are used to having satyrs. They, they have to stay at home and go on Zoom. This is a most unconventional holiday. You are indeed correct about that one. So, you know, unconventional is, is the name of, of the game right now. Everything is very unconventional. You and I got on this podcast spontaneously, uh, which is an unconventional thing for the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. So you and I have been talking about uh, go, getting on here uh, the last few weeks and talking about Brooklyn ballparks because I was standing at the corner of 4th Avenue and 3rd Street, and, and that corner has a lot of Dodger history, although nobody – standing on that corner would know it. It's a shame. It really is. You know, I've spoken to a couple of people about it. Uh, primarily, I've spoken with the curator of the Old Stone House, which is located within Washington Park. And, you know, to make a long story short, she just says the city doesn't care. They only want to promote their George Washington history, and that's it. There used to be a sign within the park. Uh, you know, this was... Uh, the Dodgers played here in the Old Stone House history. That sign has since be, been replaced. It was a New York City Park sign. You know, uh, that's why I find it a little ponderous that they would remove it, which they did a couple of years ago. And now there's literally not one mention that the Dodgers ever played at Washington Park. I mean, that's crazy. Like, why would you go ahead and remove that? Was it? Was it? Maybe, do you, do you think, and this is a complete stretch on my part, but do you think it had anything to do with the fervor about the Mets celebrating the Dodgers so much with when they celebrated, when they, they, they made Ebbets, uh, you know, uh, a, a shrine to Ebbets Field with, uh, with the facade up in City Field? No, I don't think one had anything to do with the other. Uh, I think we're just talking about a major 
major bureaucracy and, you know, they have their mindset on one thing and, you know, all the other stuff just gets put to the side. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it's ponderous. It's ponderous that a major league team in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Dodgers, uh, have no have no representation where they once played. No sign. One used to be there, uh, and it was covered by overgrowth. That's how much they ca- they cared because uh, it was on a fence, you know, and the vines and everything took it over. Uh, ponders. I can only blame it on the city administration has, having nothing to do with the Mets or city field or the fact that it looks like an Ebbets Field replica. Yeah, you know, again, a stretch on my part, but I figured I'd, I'd throw it out there. <clears throat> Speaking of, of where Ebbets Field actually used to be, it, it's it's been troublesome how much there there isn't anything that kind of points you in the direction uh, to celebrate its history. Obviously, you have um, some <clears throat> excuse me, you have some murals in certain places. Um, and if you if you if you're you and me, and you know have talked to people have have discussed it with enough people, we know where to find things now. Uh, a lot of our listeners obviously would love to find things because they, they don't do a good enough of a job of, of celebrating it. And, you know, what, the biggest reason they didn't do, I mean, the reason why Ebbets Field doesn't currently stand there in any capacity whatsoever is because it wasn't celebrated and that continues to this day. So tell, tell some of our listeners if they ever want to go to the corner of Bedford and Sullivan in Brooklyn, uh, how they can find any semblance of the history that does lay there. You know what? I, I, I think we're somewhat jaded because if you go to other cities and towns where there used to be uh, a, a team, it's a little ponderous how little signage or, or remembrance they have. At least when you go to Ebbets Field, there's something. Do we want more? Absolutely. But at least when you walk up on Bedford, uh, the parking lot outside, it, it says Ebbets Field with the logo of the Ebbets Field Apartments. But if you're a picture taker, you can go there and you can take a picture of Ebbets Field up on a brick wall and crop it. <laughs> and it'll look beautiful. And then, of course, on the entrance, the main entrance on Bedford Avenue, you, you have the cornerstone. Uh, dating to 1962, site of former Ebbets Field. But the the real hidden treasure is along Sullivan uh, Sullivan Place. And if you go down, walking from Bedford towards what would have been home plate, right off of Sullivan, if you go into the parking lot entering the apartment complex, down a sidewalk headed towards the maintenance office, brass home plate, saying this was home plate at its field where Jackie Robinson integrated baseball in 1947. So there's at least that. And then, of course, across the street along the left field line, you have Jackie Robinson playground. You know, so there's that. Uh, And if you're a tourist in town, you know, it'll be worth your while to come to Ebbets Field, Sullivan, and Bedford and at least get pictures of home plate, you know, and, and the signage along Bedford Avenue that says Ebbets Field 
and the cornerstone. So you can at least get that and he, much. And if I may, and, and right across the, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, if I may, right across the street uh, from Ebbets, along Bedford Avenue, you have TD Bank there, who has a giant, uh, a giant portrait on their wall of Jackie Robinson walking down Sullivan Place away from Ebbets Field. And at Dwayne Reed, on the side wall outside, they have uh, murals of Ebbets Field and Jackie Robinson. You know, so again, a trip there will be worth your while. And I think I showed you last summer that on Sullivan, between Rogers and Nostrand, is... Dodgers Playground, uh, a little gem tucked away in the middle of the block. The the front gates were made to look like the exterior of Ebbets Field. And then once you go inside, they have a, a sundial, and it's rather large. I would say it's uh, eight feet or uh, maybe seven to eight feet in circumference, but it has all the nationally championship years and of course including 1955 and it also makes a short list of all the names not all of them but some of the names that participated with that team and I'll go back to 55 55 is in the center of the sundial you know uh, World Series champions and then there's uh, a little statue of a catcher and the catcher's mint is a water, water fountain after all this is a New York City playground but, uh, again, there's that, you know, and it's a little hidden gem. Like I said, it's in the middle of the block on Sullivan between Rogers and Nostrand. It's called Dodgers Playground. Uh, it's a nifty little place. And I stumbled across it uh, by pure accident. I drove by one day, and I was like, what was that? Came back around the block, went inside. I was like, oh, my goodness. And you did find some absolute gems, and we'll have to post them later on on uh, on the website. Um, the the thing, though, more, uh, what I was going to say. There's more yeah. gems oh, yeah. to borrow. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that that what's interesting about trying to recreate the experience because there's a lot about you know. Going to a game at Evans Field that you definitely, obviously, cannot recreate. But there's some semblance of it that you can. In terms of, of any tourist going out to check out Evans Field, what's interesting is that you're still going to get a very similar transportation effect, other than the trolley, obviously. But if you're coming from Manhattan as a tourist and you want to get to Evans Field, Taking it to Franklin Avenue or taking it to Prospect Park is going to be pretty similar. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, you know, same transportation system as way back then. And uh, I would advise people to do it. If you're from out of town and you're coming, come to Brooklyn, check it out, because right next door you have Prospect Park. You have the Botanical Gardens. So it'll be time, you know, well spent. Yeah, and, you know, some of the other gems that you have found that arguably nobody else is looking for right now in Brooklyn is, uh, there's, you know, little there's, hidden baseball gems like, like Federal League. 
So if you, if you just go, go ahead, go ahead. I, I know you're going to go down that rabbit hole. Well, very quickly, I was going to say, you know, the murals over at the MTA lot at uh, Ocean Avenue, where Ocean Avenue, Flatbush, and Empire Boulevard come together. The MTA lot there on the corner, way back when, had a mural of the 55 champs, National League champs, uh, holding up a pennant with Ebbets Field in the background. That mural got painted over. Uh, they started a new mural. Uh, and they got halfway done, but on that mural, you know, Charlie Ebbets was on there, uh, a graphic of their championship ring, Ebbets Field, a couple of the players, Campy, uh, Branch Rickey. And that mural subsequently got painted over as well. And the story was that the gentleman who was painting that, he retired, uh, so there was nobody left behind to complete it. And so they just painted over it. So the legacy of the murals over at the MTA yard is over. But along Flatbush Avenue, there's a post office. There's a post office at Avenue N and Flatbush. Uh, they have an exterior mural where you can see uh, Pee Wee and Gil and uh, you know Carl Ferrillo and a couple of the a couple of the other guys. And then uh, further down Flatbush Avenue, like near Fillmore, there's another post office. And inside, it's a rather beautiful mural that's only a couple of years old uh, of Ebbets Field and the Boys of Summer and uh, things of that nature. So as far as murals are concerned, you know, they're out there. you just got to track them down. That is for sure. And I wanted to go a little bit of a federal league direction, but I'm actually going to shift back real quick, speaking of murals and, and, and uh, things that pay homage. The flagpole stands at, at Barclays Center. Do you ever find it insult to injury that across the street, from where Walter O'Malley wanted his ballpark, sits a mall with maybe not a, re- a recreation of the Ebbetsfield facade, one that certainly reminds you of it from the curve perspective and the fact that, like, if it's not necessarily an Ebbetsfield-looking facade, it still looks like it could be a ballpark if you didn't know a mall was there. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, that is, in fact, the location that Walter O'Malley wanted, not where Barclays Center is, but across the street. It's Atlantic Center. It's a, it's a shopping mall. And, yeah, the outside, you know, they fashioned it to make it resemble a ballpark. And to me, it's a slap in the face every time I drive by it or walk by it. <laughs> you know, but it's a little subtle reminder uh, to people in the know that that's the location that Walter O'Malley wanted, not necessarily where Barkley sits today in the flagpole. Yeah. You know, a little story about the flagpole, you know, growing up playing baseball, little league and getting a little older, there used to be a batting cage on Utica Avenue on the other side of Farragut Road, uh, an indoor batting cage. And we used to go there a lot. And on the same block uh, was the church who had the flagpole and they displayed it outside their church and with a little plaque uh, and you can walk right up to it and see it, and it was nice. And then one day it just disappeared. When I went one day to go see it, and not knowing that it, it had disappeared, and, you know, when I arrived, to my dismay, it wasn't there, nor was the church. By the way, the church, uh, the pastor, you know, he just, he retired uh, and sold the property and, and, and moved on. But uh, I talked to one of the businesses next door, and they said, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, a flatbed came and took it away. You know, fast forward, thank goodness the purchaser of the of the flagpole was the Brooklyn Nets. 
and that is now at the corner of uh, Flatbush and Atlantic. You know, uh, so I'm I'm glad that worked out and had a happy ending. So talk a little bit about the the basketball legacy now that's being created for major sports in Brooklyn. Um, I, I don't think we'll, we will see another major sports franchise come to Brooklyn, although never say never. I don't think it's not going to be baseball, but who knows? Um, so what, how, what, what do you think about the Barclays Center? Have you been there? Uh, just talk about, about the, the legacy being shaped right now within Brooklyn sports. Uh, I've been there. Uh, I watched almost every bean go up. I was working in the neighborhood, so I got to see construction day by day, week by month, and by year. Uh, and I have hundreds and hundreds of pictures. Uh, the legacy. You know what? I was, I for one was excited uh, as a Brooklynite to have a team come and have Brooklyn as their headquarters, you know, it put Brooklyn back on the map as a major league town. But you're right. Uh, you know, this thing with the Islanders, that was a transient move. Uh, we all knew they were, you know, in a temporary situation until they got their own arena situation figured out. Uh, but obviously we're not going to see a baseball team. We're not going to see a football team here. Uh, that's why I was so thrilled when the Nets came here. Uh, Bruce Ratner, he purchased the club and announced right away his intention to move the Nets to uh, Brooklyn, uh, which is uh, – and he, by the way, is a native Brooklynite. But, you know, without getting too political and veering off the road, uh, he did that only so he can get his own real estate uh, interests off the ground. Uh, and he won. He, and, in fact, he managed to get the location in the manner – in which uh, Walter O'Malley tried securing the location across the street and failed. He wanted uh, he wanted the site declared with eminent domain. This way, he can pay below market, uh, and that's in fact what uh, Bruce Radden was allowed to do. Uh, whereas O'Malley and 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 Robert Moses and they bumped heads. Moses didn't necessarily oppose O'Malley and the location. He just wanted him to pay uh, market rate, you know, so just to clear that up. But the legacy, you know what, it's transformed over the last two years. They came in strong that first year. They put together a team so they can compete right away. Uh, but then they made a very disastrous trade for, for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in which they just gave away uh, six years' worth of number one draft picks to the Boston Celtics. Six years might be an, ex an exaggeration, but you know what trading away your top draft picks does to an organization, and that's exactly what happened to the Nets. You know, they fell uh, flat on their faces when that first three years didn't necessarily work out for them. So they initiated a grassroots rebuilding effort, and uh, last year they made the playoffs, and uh, at no time since their arrival in, in 2012, the 2012-2013 season, uh, I think uh, at no time has Brooklyn been more excited for the team uh, than they were last year and heading into this season. And it's great. It's organic. The borough is starting to embrace them. I knew it would take some time. I think Brooklyn can be a very apathetic place when it comes to things like this, but uh, they're growing on us. I was in on 
you know, the Nets since day one. Uh, again, because it was a Brooklyn thing for me. Uh, I can't say well, that well, I was impressed. I think, can't say that I was. How many? Sorry, go ahead, finish. No, I was going to say, I, I can't say that I would embrace another team coming here, but the Nets was a very easy thing to do. I was on board uh, since 2002 when Bruce Ratner originally announced his plans. So I, I had been waiting and waiting, and finally, you know, it came to fruition. And uh, I'm a happy camper. You know, I, I love having a major league team here in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, it, it, it brings clouds to so, the world. So Wear it like a red let's go shirt. down that uh, let's go down that rabbit hole. What what was your basketball feeling prior to Bruce Ratner buying the net? Well, I was a Knicks fan, you know, uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. a miserable Knicks fan at that because ever since Dolan purchased the Rangers and the Knicks, uh, the Knicks have been absolutely terrible for twenty years now, you know. So I was a disgruntled Knicks fan. Uh, but right away, when Reiner announced his plans to move to Brooklyn, I was in. I jumped all in. And ever since the move, I'm a Nets fan. I, I think I've eliminated the Knicks from my memory banks. Uh, I can't sit through a Knicks game anymore, as bad as the Nets could be over the last couple of years. I, you know, I'm, I'm all in for Brooklyn. Uh, and I can say I'm, I'm a Nets fan now. I, I never thought it would happen in my lifetime that I would renounce a team and jump ship for another. But here I am. I'm a Nets fan because they're in Brooklyn. And because of James Dolan. I mean, he just completely, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it wore on me. So he created this atmosphere that just made it very easy to do. But for me, it's strictly Brooklyn. That trumps everything. And I honestly don't know what I'll do if the Knicks should ever win a championship. I don't know what I'll do. I don't know if I'd go to the parade. I don't know if I'm entitled to anymore because I renounced them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and this is where this is the connect the connection about that is it was so you know interesting and juxtaposing from where we are with this project is is the Walter O'Malley effect and what an owner can do. And Horace Stoneham's, um, his, his, you know, Horace Stoneham's apathy and how Walter O'Malley, you know, just the stories say that Walter O'Malley was like, no, you should go to San Francisco. You know, it, it was easy for Dodger fans to let, Bob, let, let that go and become Met fans. Whereas it, it seems, just especially in the legacy and talking to fans, uh, the Giants were able to stick with their team out here a little bit more because of uh, the, it didn't feel like a slight to an entire group of people. It didn't feel like, like you, were, you were literally kicking an entire burrow in the groin. Uh, it, 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 it didn't, you had Willie Mays to hold on to, even if, there were, there were certain players with the Dodgers that, that were I, – I don't – I think when the Dodgers left, they didn't have a Willie Mays, you know, at that point, at the, at the peak of his career that you just wanted to stick with. Um, and so not to say that you would have necessarily stuck with the Knicks if there was a specific type of player, but, like, it's just, you know, my connection to it is what owners will do, that Walter O'Malley – 
he may have gained fans in the area of Los Angeles, but he lost lifetime fans from a franchise perspective that the Giants kept. Yeah, in a sense, because, you know, from what I learned over the years and speaking with people and fans and making friends and whatnot, uh, yeah, uh, Dodger fans flocked over to the Mets. I can't say what percentage, but Dodger fans flocked over to the Mets and embraced them and continued on in life, whereas Giant fans uh, didn't. Their team was gone. And they didn't jump to the Yankees or the Mets. They just uh, let it be. Interesting. I mean, the Giants, you, you know, you're talking about John McGraw's empire. Uh, and, yeah. And Mel Ott and, and great names. Carl Hubble. Uh, well, does it, say, then, does it say a lot about Manhattan? Or, or maybe specifically, maybe not about Manhattan, but about the location of the Giants in Manhattan, too? That, well, that because know, of where the, where the Giants were, they weren't necessarily a Manhattan ball team. They were probably a big circle above them. You know how I would, I would answer that? Uh, look at Penn Station. We're talking about Manhattan. And, you know, uh, in order to press forward in Manhattan, you have to deconstruct before you can build and construct the new. It's a constant renewal in Manhattan. Uh, so, short for words, but you, you know what I mean. It's a constant turn in Manhattan. So, here today, right. gone tomorrow. You know, I'm sure the people Giants would weren't, The Giants weren't a Manhattan ball team. They were a New York ball team. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, Whereas Brooklyn, Brooklyn was Brooklyn. Brooklyn was you know what's so interesting? You, know? you and I, you and I were listening to the uh, national radio thing, and when the uh, sorry, geez, when the 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 Dodgers uh, scored their first run in Game Seven of 1955, uh, the announcer said the Brooks lead one to nothing, and this was just like this was an interesting little nickname that the Dodgers always had that that didn't even exactly catch on, but but still, you know, it it still just had to do with the fact that the Dodgers are just a nickname and that they are the Brooklyn National League Baseball Club. And so right. another nickname could be the Brooks. Absolutely. Uh if you go back in the old uh Brooklyn Eagle articles and you know, in print, uh, they've been referred to the Brooks a lot, you know. Uh, even the Nationals, you know, they just applied Brooklyn and National National League. They would call them the Brooklyn Nationals as well. Yeah, that's as right. Well. That's right. But uh, a lot of papers did that with their own local teams, you know, the St. Louis Nationals, the Philadelphia Nationals. If you, had a, if you were a two-team town, you know, sometimes you would call the Americans or the Nationals. So, uh, but, yeah, the Brooks, I, I think that's a great little nickname, the Brooks. Let's talk ballpark. Yeah, like they, he said. Say it again. I said, let's talk ballparks like we intended to. <laughs> yes, yes, we are getting on a tangent. So why don't you talk a little bit about the Federal League? And and is is this wall still there that the, you last showed me? And, of course, give our audience a little bit of a background of what you're talking about. The wall is still there. Uh, along 
Third Avenue in Brooklyn at First Street. We'll start at First Street. It extends from First Street to Third Street along Third Avenue. That wall goes back to uh, Washington Park 3, where the Brooklyn Federal Team, Federal League team played, the Brooklyn Tip Tops. Uh, it is not a leftover from the Dodgers uh, when they played there first and then when they moved to Eastern Parkway and then came back to Washington Park. Uh, the, the two parks are not uh, one and the same. So the Tip Tops did not play on the same field as the Dodgers, but in the same location. You know, Brooklyn, Washington Park started out as the home for the Dodgers in the 1800s, late 1800s, and they played there for a while. That park was uh, situated between 4th and 5th Avenues, 3rd Street to 5th Street. That was the original Washington mm. Park where the Dodgers played. And then... Uh, where, where there's, where there's a, an actual uh, city park now. Where there's a city park and uh, 4th Street is closed off because of the school. Uh, and then right next door would be Washington City Park where the old stone house is. So that was one. Then there was an, at, at this point in Dodger history, there was an owner, uh, George Chauncey. And he was the one who had real estate interests out uh, in the eastern portion of Brooklyn. Brownsville, East New York, around there. And he was the one who moved the team to Eastern Park for, what was it, eight years or so? Uh, and then when Charlie Ebbets became more prominent within the organization, he's the one who moved them back to an updated version, an improved version of Washington Park. And home plate for that, and, and the first and third base lines, uh, home plate would have been along... 4th Avenue and 3rd Street and then your 3rd baseline would have been 3rd Street and your 1st baseline would have been 4th Avenue. With the center field back to back with the center field of Washington Park 3 where the tip tops played. So uh, who were the tip tops and why were they called the tip tops? You know, a bunch of angry rich guys who couldn't see their way into the American or National League uh, circuits because it truly was a monopoly. Uh, you know, those owners wouldn't let new owners in. So these guys got together and formed their own league. Uh, the Brooklyn team was owned by a gentleman named Robert Ward, and he owned a local bread manufacturing company here in Brooklyn. In fact, uh the building factory where he where he produces bread uh, was uh, what street is that? The back would have been. Didn't you? you well, I, I was I was near it the other day, and you told me. Yeah. Uh, well, like uh, I was near it the other day, right? Yeah, uh, Pacific Dean Vanderbilt, and I forgot what comes behind Vanderbilt. Uh, Anyway, I, I think if you're listening, you know exactly where I'm speaking of. But going back to Bruce Ratner, this all goes back to his uh, Atlantic Yards project. You know, he promised a whole bunch of uh, uh, of housing, you know, moderate, low in income, uh, and moderate, moderately priced housing uh, as part of his whole 
footprint and his project. So uh, his uh, Mr. Ward's bread company fell within that footprint. And, you know, there were many protests and, and efforts to save the building and to get it a, a historic designation, but it failed, and construction ultimately destroyed or demolished the building. And right now it's just an empty lot that they use for staging, for construction along, uh, you know, in other sections of uh, of the footprint. So it's funny that we spoke of Ragnar, so, because there so, he is, he comes so up with this wait, again. So... Uh, wait a second, because you know I've there, there there is something down that way, and now I'm 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 wondering if that see is is there still like a building from the 1800s standing in this hole that you're talking about down that way, like just one little building? Uh, there is, I believe it's still up. Uh, I, I and they just—I guess it, maybe it has maybe it it has designation. That's why it hasn't been torn down. Perhaps uh, I, I think I know the building you're talking about. Uh, I haven't followed up on that, uh, you know, in a good little bit—at least a year, two years. Uh, but I can tell you with great certainty they tried preserving uh, Mr. Ward's building, uh, but failed, and it's a shame. It was a nice, right. nice, you know, a nice ornate building. Uh, so a little bit. I, I am seeing some stuff here. 1914 to 1915. Uh, if, if anybody yeah. wants to look, and I, I I will post it at some point over the next few days. Brooklyn Federal League Baseball Club, the Tip Tops official scorecard. Crystal Spring Water and Beverages were were sponsoring this scorecard, by the way. Um, last year, last year yeah. I picked up midseason, and I was recapping all the all their excuse me all their games into uh, the season the season final. So I had fun replaying their games in my head and, you know, writing brief game recaps every day. That was fun. What do you know about, what do you know about the ballparks over in uh, Bushwick? Do you know anything about those? Oh, uh, what was the name? Oh. Oh, you surprised me on that one. But, yes, there were – there will, Dexter there were, Park. Uh, Dexter Park. No, well, Dexter Park is in like the Brooklyn Queens border. It's along, it's along uh, Jamaica Jamaica Avenue. It's actually in Queens, Dexter Park, uh, just right. across the Brooklyn border. But it is in Queens. But uh, in Bushwick, and there was there was a park over there. Uh, we're talking about two different locations. There was a park over there, and uh, escaping me right now. But that's the part. I think they were called the Bushwicks, I think. Say again? I think they were called the Bushwicks. Yes. uh, But, you know, uh, other teams played there as well. Uh, I just forget the name of the park. Man, you surprised me with that one. But you're absolutely right because they did play in in Bushwick uh, over by Knickerbocker Avenue uh, around there. Forget the name of it. They were a semi-professional baseball team that played its games almost totally. Oh, that's the Dexter Park one. Okay. And that's, in, right, that's basically Park. in Queens, like you said. That's in Queens. Dexter Park used to get okay. huge crowds back in their day. Uh, a lot of famous people played there. You know, Joe DiMaggio played there. Uh, they played Lee against Jerry. Negro League team, uh, barnstorming Negro League teams, minor league baseball teams, and other semi-pro teams. Yeah. And, you know, hooray to the city for at least 
getting a, uh, a, a historical marketplace over there. Uh, well, that's great. That's good. Yeah, there is a market there. It's under the underneath the L train on Jamaica. Well, maybe on that's what, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Uh, that the Bush, the Brooklyn Bushwicks played the, there the for a long to 1951. They played there until 1951. Yeah, semi-pro and things of that nature, you know. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now I'm, I'm going to jump a little bit. Babe Ruth played there. Garrett played there. Josh Gibson played there. Jackie Robinson And, and it just there. reminds me though that that. Dexter Park, you know, Dexter Park would probably still be there um, in the same way that uh, Hinchcliffe Stadium in Patterson is still there. Uh, if, if, you know, in other, in other circumstances. Um, you know, obviously it's not a Brooklyn ballpark, but it's just interesting to bring the Patterson ballpark up, Hinchcliffe Stadium, that's still standing there. Even if there's not grass growing, uh, unfortunately, it's all cement at this point. But uh, I don't believe that they're allowed to tear it down. And that's why it's just standing there trying to figure out what to do. I got to get out there. You told me about that. I had no idea. Uh, um, I really want to get out there. And I want to get a picture of yeah. the uh, Monty Irvin statue as well. Uh, yeah, the Monty Irvin statue, uh, Monty Irvin, who played for the New York Giants, he uh, is out at Orange Park in New Jersey. You know, Jersey's got a lot of, of excellent history that, that New Yorkers should go see because it is a part of their history because New Jersey obviously came up uh, at the same time that New York was coming up because there was nowhere else to go if you were right. on the New York side. I mean, you're talking about not just uh, from the, the suburban clout. Um, we're, we're talking from an urban perspective. This stuff built up very quickly over there because of, of, of uh, just what this land means to people. And, and uh, people wanted to be near this harbor. It just goes back to that fact, Mike. One of the greatest natural harbors in the world, you know, and that's what consistently kept drawing people here, shipping, business, you name it. Word got out. Uh, and, of course, opening of the Erie Canal, you know, just made this uh, the center of commerce on the East Coast and in America. But, you know, we did it again. We strayed, getting back to Washington Park and the Brooklyn Tip Tops, First, a uh, First Street and Third Avenue. That is still original wall from Tip Top's Park. <laughs> Con Edison owns the yard, excuse me. And for a second there, they almost demolished it. And, you know, there was a public outcry. And since then, Con Edison promised to preserve the wall, which they have. You know, and if you Google pictures, you're going to see, um, you're going to see the wall from the inside of the park. Uh, so, so the public outcry, who, who, you know, who was primarily part of it? Baseball fans, you know, baseball fans slash historians, uh, people of that nature. You know, well, that's, they made that's stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, the local historians, uh, the people, you know, who actually get, you know, earlobe deep into this stuff and 
will constantly uh, keep up on this. There was a public outcry from them, and uh, Conrad promised to preserve the wall, which they have. It's still there, uh, but with no recognition. And that's something that I wish the city would put on another market, like they have at Dexter Park. Uh, you know, and I've petitioned. Well, I, I say, if, they've done something, if they've done something with the semi-pro team, you know, might as well, right? Uh, you would think, you know. I mean, I understand the caliber of player that played at Dexter Park when you include Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson, et cetera, et cetera. But still, we're talking baseball history and Brooklyn history. Why wouldn't you want to promote yeah. your history? And that's something I find ponderous. But the wall is still there. Uh, like I said, if you Google pictures, you're going to see the inside of the park looking out, and, and the wall is as is, you know, as it was then. So go touch it. It is a piece of history. I just wish the city would recognize it. Yeah, I wish too. Um, it's there, There's a lot of things that the city doesn't necessarily recognize, you know, um, I, I just, I, I, it's it, it's weird the way branding works. And again, you know, my my ventures in New Jersey made me realize that New Jersey might may be one of the more rich, revolutionary uh, states. Except they've decided to just own the fact that they're between Philadelphia and New York. And not there really, you, you know, they obviously have markers. They, they have markers that say that they're, that what, you know, they, they meant for the Revolutionary War. And same with New York. Uh, but there seems to be, uh, just it's, it's, it has to do with branding in many ways, which is why, uh, whether it's baseball or whether it's the Revolution, you don't necessarily see these markers as much in places like New York and New Jersey. You're right. Uh, Pennsylvania does a great job, both historically and baseball-wise, a great job with markers. They're everywhere in Pennsylvania. You, you, you run into them by accident. Oh, look, another marker. Right. Exactly. And uh, I, I just wish they would do a little bit more uh, with, with baseball ballparks. You, you know, oh, you let's Try to uh, let's try to dive uh, a little deeper with Brooklyn ballparks and go. You know, we've been talking about semi-pro, we've been talking about major leagues, we've been talking about Negro leagues, we've been talking about federal leagues, we've been talking about many different leagues. Obviously, American is the only thing that really hasn't touched Brooklyn when it comes to baseball leagues. Let's let's go even deeper um, to to high school to semi-pro, uh, outside of, of, of the uh, Bushwicks that we talked about. Um, you know, I, I, I think what's fascinating about Brooklyn, and I just recently, I, I, it, it, I, it's probably come uh, into my mind before, but they have a, a ballpark or, or a section of softball parks or, or just city park in general called Brooklyn ball fields, which is the original, you know, the, the original name of Brooklyn when it was only named after a, a, a uh, Netherlands uh, city that's a half hour outside of Amsterdam. Um, uh, spelled completely different, 
uh, where, uh, you know, I, I, I say it's, it's, it's just a part of the American uh, spirit that we were like, no, 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 you're not Brooklyn. You're Brooklyn, okay? You're Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right? Uh, so they, they spelled it their way. Um, so, like, let's, let's go deeper, Mike. What, what are some of your favorite fields that, that are dedicated to playing of ball in Brooklyn? That's interesting. The parade grounds has nice fields, parade grounds of uh, Prospect Park. Uh, when I played, uh, you know, I played in Marine Park. I played in the Garrison Field, uh, Garrison Beach Fields. Uh, I played in the Bergen Beach Fields. Uh, but the parade grounds uh, have been around forever. Uh, semi-pro games have been conducted at the parade grounds uh, for well over 100 years. So there's a lot of history to be delved into parade grounds. Uh, that would probably be the uh, most famous ball field outside of you know, Evans and Washington Park and Easton Park and things of that nature. But uh, the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn ball field says its name. Uh, and I and I visited Brooklyn in in Holland, by the way. I also went to the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, it's a little foot pedestrian bridge. It's kind of funny. But when I was in Germany, I visited. That's that's really I, funny. That's really funny. I, I wanted to name. I wanted to visit. <laughs> I wanted to visit uh, a lot of the places that here in New York City were named after, you know, like Harlem and Brooklyn and Stuyvesant and things of that nature. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's my experience. And, and, of course, high school, we had a nice field. Uh, I played on, I played for South Shore High School. Uh, Madison High School, their field was terrible. Uh, Sheeps at Bay High School, their field was Terrible. <laughs> I thought Oz was pretty good. Uh, Canarsie had a good feel. <laughs> hmm. Oh, and, and and you got the Seaview field, the Seaview softball and baseball fields out in Canarsie as well. Uh, a lot of games out there. Right, right. You know, um, there's baseball. It it it's so steep in Brooklyn. You know, obviously. One of the things that they, that, that they used to boast about was the fact that Manhattan only had like 25 teams compared to uh, Brooklyn's 85, something, something like that, somewhere between 1850 uh, and 1876 or whatever the, oh, yeah. the cutoff was for when they were starting. That. You know, it, 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 it was, you know, I think with that, it goes back to how much land is on Manhattan. Like, of course, there's only going to be 25 teams. Uh, you know, back back then, 110th Street was uh, up upstate. <laughs> well, I mean, you went back there, so we might as well get into it. Like the New York Knickerbockers, uh, they practiced amongst themselves, but initially they did that at Madison Square Park, 23rd Street in Manhattan, until they hopped the ferry and went over to Elysian Grounds or Elysian Fields over in Hoboken. Uh, but that was the place to go to before Central Park was was, was created. Uh, people thought nothing of jumping the ferry and going to Hoboken to Elysian Fields. Yeah, uh, 
you know, it's funny because we were we were veering off, but you were talking about Hoboken. What what's so interesting about uh, so sorry, I, you know, I was saying that we were veering off to Jersey, and you kept bringing it back to Brooklyn, and but now you're going to Hoboken. But uh, I, I'll be the one to I'll be the one to mention that with Hoboken, right right now where that actually happened is an intersection, is a grit, which wasn't there. Uh, you know, and Hoboken obviously was a thing, was called Hoboken, and I believe at that point, I, I, you know, this is actually very interesting because um, I was looking up the Knickerbockers, but now I'm kind of curious when Hoboken as a city uh, uh, was created. But right there now is a, a marker that says here was the first ever organized baseball game. Uh, and you're talking about an intersection of Washington Street and 11th Street in Hoboken, New Jersey. Yes. Uh, that sign is a little misleading. Yeah, that game generally gets credit for being the first, but it really wasn't. But it's okay that it gets credit for being the first. Because the you need to start somewhere, play. man. <laughs> you need to start somewhere. I, I agree with that because everything prior to that is a little fuzzy. That was the first clearly cut. That was the first clearly cut I, competition between rival clubs with a standard set of rules. Now, what year was that? 1845, I believe. Okay, uh, so that, it became that, a that, separate. That's a guess. It became a separate. I'm sorry. So, so Hoboken became a separate township in 1849 and was incorporated as a city in 1855. Now, I, I, I don't know what the, the, um, uh, what the parameters of a city being incorporated was in 1855. Uh, I guess it has to do with the population, right? But, yeah. you know, if you're ever, if you're ever there, and, like, there, there are, you know, Morristown is probably in some fashion sometimes if if it, if it weren't the fact that Hoboken is right next to Manhattan, uh, you know, Morristown's just a township, but when you go there, you're like, how is this not called a city? Hoboken is small enough that anywhere else, if it weren't right next to Manhattan, it wouldn't be considered a city. But it, it obviously, I mean, the nickname is the Mile Square City, as it says in Wikipedia, uh, and then we'll move on from municipal, municipal uh, chatter, and we'll get back to baseball in the ballparks of Brooklyn. But <laughs> you know, that's the that's the thing about Hoboken is it's a very unique place. But I like Jersey City more as it pertains to being an extension of of, of another borough, of being being a sixth borough to New York in a different state. Jersey City, oh. I feel like, has a little bit more claim. And then you you can. You know, respond to that and then veer us off. No, we're we're the metropolitan area, so I think you're spot on. You know, uh, I'll give you a little anecdote. Back when I was in the army, you know, going through basic training, got people from all over the country. You know, and, and me and this one guy hit it off. It just so happens he was from Jersey City and I was from Brooklyn. And as far as we can, we were concerned, you know, we were next door neighbors. That was good enough for us, man, and we we became best friends. Exactly, exactly, and 
you know, they have a lot of, they have interesting connection to Brooklyn. You know, we've had uh, Peter Trunk uh, spent a lot of time in Newark, New Jersey, was raised in many facets in Newark, New Jersey, who's been on this show. Um, uh, but obviously Brooklyn, uh, 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 Jackie Robinson uh, played as a Montreal Royal in Jersey City for the first time. And uh, um, also Walter O'Malley basically teased New York uh, teased the city of New York and Brooklyn uh, by playing in Jersey City uh, seven times against the other National League ball clubs before he left for Los Angeles. Yep. Pretty interesting. I want to bring you back to Brooklyn, though. And I also want to mention Union Grounds over on uh, on Marcy Avenue in Williamsburg. And I also want to mention Capitoline Grounds over on Nostrian and Halsley and Putnam in Crown Heights. You know, that goes back to the amateur era, the Brooklyn Atlantics and uh, the various other teams in Brooklyn. Uh, Union Grounds. Right oh now, there's an armory there. It was built in 1883. And prior to that was the ball field. And that ball field was wow. the first with an enclosed outfield, the first with bleachers, the first concessions, the first uh, tickets sold to the general public. A lot of firsts took place at Union Grounds in Williamsburg. Uh, and then, you know, things evolved, the property was sold, and they, uh, New York State built the armory. So that location is just once removed from being America's first enclosed ballpark. Wow. And, and then, there's uh, even a picture. If you go to Brooklyn Ball, uh, there is a website, you know, and I, I don't even know whether I knew about this website, but brooklynballparks.com. And I, I probably have been to this before. But there Brooklyn is a photo Ball- there I, stating. I, I've met the author, I've met uh, the author of, of that site. I've met the author of that site, talked to him many times because he's involved or at least was actually I haven't seen him in a couple of years uh, but he was involved with the vintage baseball leagues locally uh, mm. and he authored that whole site him and his partner uh, they even took uh, train rides to the wild Brooklyn trying to connect every location you know and uh, they pulled it's it off interesting, it's interesting armory too. I'm looking at the photo of the armory that uh, that's over yeah. there right now. So that location uh, is only one great, you know. No, I, I was just going to say that uh, there's some amazing photos uh, that everybody, or just even sketches that everybody should take a look at if they just type in Brooklyn Union Grounds, and of course we will share it over here very soon. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, the, that's. That, that's it. You know, Union Grounds deserves mention in any conversation of Brooklyn ball fields. It was the first. It was the nation's first. Nation's first enclosed ballpark with an outfield wall. Before that, they were just playing in, you know, open space. And if the ball got beyond the outfielder world, you had, you had a four-bagger in your hands. Uh, now, so that tell really me, changed. Did, it, was hor- it was horseshoe... No, I was going to say, it was like, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like it was horseshoe with a little hut in the middle of the ball field. 
Uh, yes, that in the winter time they used to freeze over, uh, freeze that yeah. over for ice skating, and that hut was so women can change. That's the origination so, of the hut. Uh, yeah. What, what's like so interesting about this this drawing? What's so interesting about this drawing is that um, first of all, there's no dirt infield, obviously. Uh, if you're if 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 anybody, I'll I'll share this one too, but. If, Anybody was to look this up, um, and then, it, it, and like I'm all I'm just trying to think of the dimensions that they didn't even think to close that part off to have a home run officially. That they only allowed a home run, like you had, like, like. I mean, now first of all, I'm pretty sure that the center fielder is not going to be running into that, in you know, in center field. He's going to he's going to have. It's too far away, according to where they've placed him. But at the same time, it's just like, I guess it's the dead ball era. Like, what else can I think of? This is early baseball. Um, There's no point. There's no point in closing it off. And for the people listening, you know, if you're familiar with the area in Williamsburg, uh, like Sam says, you would have to hit that ball the length of the full block between Marcy and Harrison. You know, those are long oh blocks. God. Those are long blocks. And so that's, that's what that is. That's what I'm looking yeah. at. It was Harrison, Marcy, Rutledge, and Lynch. I think those are the four streets that uh, surround the outline or the footprint. And the school right across the street from the armory also was incorporated into the footprint of the field. So it's those two blocks that uh, comprise mm. union grounds. But yeah, those are the streets. Yeah, Marcy, you, Harrison, Rutledge, and Lynch, I believe. I think it's Rutledge. You I'm can't talk. Of... You can't talk. You can't talk baseball. Uh, baseball in Brooklyn and baseball history in Brooklyn without talking about the Union Grounds, obviously. And uh, yeah, it looks like some can. some uh, hipsters have already. Some it looks like some hipsters have already called it Union Grounds uh, Sports Bar and Grill. So. Uh, I'm yeah. only calling them hipsters because I'm I'm being very uh, uh, stereotypical, but based off it's a good logo. I don't want to give, give the logo I'm looking at right now is is not bad, but you could you know like it's just it's only it's only the the atmosphere that has come into Brooklyn, Mike, uh, over the last few years. And without further ado, since we're closing in on an hour for a show, I'll go to the last word and I'll first go to you, Mike, uh, for, you know, not only your last word, but start with your shameless plug, please. The Brooklyn Trolley Blogger blogspot.com. Uh, I just talk about Brooklyn. I'm a witness to New York city sports. So I always have my opinion to offer and nothing more. I just look, you know, just to entertain, uh, in a Brooklyn way. So, uh, that's my shameless plug, Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. Check it out. Otherwise, baseball, you know. I just wish the city would do a better job of, you know, recognizing that this Brooklyn, Manhattan was the crib and nursery of baseball. This is where it all emanated from. Yes, it started in Manhattan, the the Knickerbockers and, and the Washington Ball Club, and but Brooklyn is where 
it just took over. Brooklyn is where it emanated from and spread throughout, you know, the land. Uh, Brooklyn. And I just wish the city would do a better job. If not the city, then Brooklyn itself. Uh, you know, signs and markers. and you, you and I should look to rectify that with the book, Sam. <laughs> Actually, I, I want to do that. I yeah, want to connect yeah. all the I want to connect all the dots, you know, get all that information consolidated for the for the uh, baseball fan out there who ventures into Brooklyn, you know. And uh, Brooklyn, look, the Brooklyn Atlantics, baseball's first dynasty. They played in Crown Heights, uh, Nostrand, Putnam, Halsley, and I forget the other street, but that's where they played at Capitoline Grounds, the greatest game ever ever played between the Atlantics and the Red Stockings. The famous, famous game. Uh, that all took place there. Uh, so, you know, Brooklyn's baseball history goes back to the very beginning. And this is where uh, the game became great and spread amongst the land. Not Manhattan. Here, Brooklyn. Another, like another. Teams like the Excelsiors and the Atlantics. Uh, it, the list is, is, is long, you know, and uh, I would say visit. Greenwood Cemetery. A lot of them are buried there. A lot of the guys that played here locally in the 1840s and 50s and even the 60s, you know, uh, great many of them are buried at Greenwood Cemetery uh, along with Charles Ebbets, getting this back to Ebbets Field, uh, Henry Chadwick, the father of baseball, the chronicler of baseball, the first historian of baseball, creator of the box score and statistics, uh, and so many others. Duncan Curry is buried there. He was one of the executives for the, uh, excuse me, for the New York Knickerbockers, you know, and a player. Uh, so, much, so much history in that cemetery. Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Brooklyn and baseball. It's just a wonderful place, man, and, and, and it just needs more recognition and more acknowledgement. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting for a city official to finally uh, do something about it. So, so many other, you know so many municipalities, towns, and cities. Uh, Boston, for instance, they love their history. You know, I can go back to Bracefield. I can go see the statue of Cy Young. You know, I can I can track down South End Grounds over there. They recognize their history, uh, no matter how far back it takes them. There's markers to find all that. You know, portions of Bracefield still stand, but they did well to put you know, pictures and recognize it and things of that nature. On Northeastern campus, they have a statue of Cy Young, you know, uh, and, and uh, commemoration of the 1903 World Series. You know what I mean? So Boston does a great job. Here in Brooklyn, New York City, we do a terrible job. Yeah, uh, it, it is for sure. You know, it's amazing. There's a bunch of brownstones lining where you're talking about capital T, capital time, capital Say it again. Capitoline Capitoline grounds. Yep. Capitoline grounds where the Atlantics played, you know, and everybody apparently skated in these ballparks during the winter. Um, Yeah. It's remarkable. I'm glad you got that in, Uh, you know, and and, and I, I was basically, my last word was going to be Brooklyn is baseball and baseball is Brooklyn. And, and I will just, just to short, but sweet, echo what Mike is talking about. And, and, and although although Mike, 
we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, MCU Park slash Keyspan Park before we, we exited. That's right, Coney Island, home of the baby bums, Brooklyn Cyclones. So there you go. Luckily, we New do York, have some New professional York, baseball. The New York Penn League champions, Brooklyn Cyclones. New York Penn League champions until they begin to play ball games, which yep. may or may not happen by June. And ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, you have been listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. You know, Mike, I, I believe I went most of that time since the last time we mentioned COVID-19 <laughs> this entire hour and a few minutes without, um, without thinking about uh, coronavirus and remembering that that exists right now. Uh, nice so nice thank you for joining. <laughs> thank you for joining us and helping us distract tonight. Uh, we look forward to everybody listening and uh, everybody who has listened. Thank you so much. Uh, without further ado, uh, the only thing I could say, usually with our, our Mets one, we have a very distinct way of, uh, of taking us out. But since this is a Brooklyn exclusive podcast, and, and Mike, since you're, you are all things Brooklyn, how, how would you want to take us out? How would you want to, to finish us off? Mike, you there? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Bedford and Sullivan podcast.